You're listening to a new episode of Queering the Sea. This is your host, Priya. This week, I had the pleasure of talking to Rakesh Satyal, who is a senior editor at Atria Books, a division of Simon & Schuster. Rakesh is also the author of the Lambda Literary Award-winning debut novel, Blue Boy, and, more recently, No One Can Pronounce My Name, both of which feature queer South Asian characters. He's an amazing author and writer, but he's also an interesting person to talk to when it comes to representation of South Asian queer voices in literature and publishing. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Rakesh. Thanks for being on Queering Desi. I'm super excited to talk to you. I've been a fan of yours since Blue Boy, but now more recently with No One Can Pronounce My Name, which I loved because it was just such a plethora of South Asian characters, more than just a gay person. And I just wanted to know what inspired you to to form some of these characters? Was that a, a little bit of you or people you knew or is it completely fictional? When you're alone, and there's a difference, kind of semantic difference between being alone and being lonely, but when you're alone and you feel lonely, the idea that that's actually sometimes where you do your most productive self-reflection, it's that where you have that moment to take stock of your life and what it what means the greatest to you and what you value most in, in your life. And so what I wanted to show was characters who are still struggling with this idea of isolation and being an outcast, but turning that on its head a bit and showing how they could move through that feeling to accomplish something greater. And that's why I didn't want the crux of the book to be a romantic relationship. It was going to be really about these people who kind of sought this deeper emotional self-realization and that, that you would see that in real time over the course of reading the book. So for you as, as a South Asian gay man, how did that kind of inspire this journey for you? I mean, writing is, is by no means kind of one of the more accepted kind of things in our culture, but for, how, do you, how would you tie in your journey and your own growth to that? You know, uh, what was very heartening to see after I published the first book was the response from not just a larger Indian community, but the community in which I grew up. Mm. Because I think for many of them, they probably, you know, saw me grow up and understand that I was probably dealing with things that were not what everybody else was dealing with. And I think when they were able to read that book and get a very kind of firsthand look at the struggles I felt emotionally when I was a child, it was very illuminating for them and for me to see their reactions to that and understand, you know, many of them kind of reaching out to me and and saying things like, you know, I didn't realize how difficult it was for you and thank you for kind of revealing what that experience might have been like. So that was very helpful for me to have that dialogue with people and to to kind of learn what they had learned in that process. So in the, in the case of writing this one, you know, my identity comes to bear on it because I felt an even greater responsibility again to have representation in the book, to show, you know, a lot of the activity of the book is people processing things emotionally. I mean, I did that very intentionally where in many scenes there's something very kind of mundane happening that the character is doing, be it driving somewhere, making dinner, you know, shopping somewhere. And then most of those scenes are appended with almost a, psychological unpacking of what the character was feeling and thinking during those activities. So this idea of showing people kind of living their lives and processing through trauma and uh, and coming out the other end, hopefully a bit more edified and a bit more self-possessed. So so I do, I mean, that is an experience of being a queer person within the community, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's yeah, the definitely. idea that, you know, we're constantly made to question certain things and then over 
the course of time, hopefully, we become more confident in what we feel and think and, and feel a responsibility and to impart that to other people so they can see something from our perspective. Well, definitely. And I think just, just hearing you talk about it, I get kind of chills because I know just being in the community and being out for so many years, I've seen that transition of being able to talk about it in the South Asian community. But I imagine that it's still, I mean, it's still, of course, very taboo and very difficult. So to even write about your own experience or to kind of open your own community to, hey, here's what happened and here, let's talk about it. How did you feel engaging in that? Because I think that, for, you know, you were able to do it written, but for some people, just opening that door is so daunting and right. so hard. So, I mean, you found a way and that's amazing. I think that has changed a little bit, but it's still something that so many of us face. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, what I, part of the book, because it's sort of, there's a meta part of the book where Renshina, that character, is a budding writer. And so I have a kind of meta commentary on what it's like to be a creative person and to kind of, again, yeah, deal with representation in publishing or in books. And, you know, one of the realizations she comes to in the book is that she doesn't feel that she's ever going to achieve some sort of like high literary status where she's going to win like a Nobel Prize or anything like that. But what she realizes is that it doesn't, that should not detract from the urgency and responsibility she feels about doing the work that she's doing. And so that is very much how I feel about both of the books that I've written, which is that, you know, they're not perfect books, and, I, and if, if you aim for perfection in that way, you're kind of kidding yourself, or you're, right. you're, you're, you're sort of compromising the process, which is that, you know, because I do feel like I've been through challenges in my life and have had the support of a community and my family and my friends, is I do feel a kind of greater call to say, okay, well, then here I'm going to put creative work out into the world, which hopefully will begin a dialogue for somebody else who can take that and hopefully improve upon it and, and create work that's even deeper and more meaningful than that. So I think, you know, I do feel you're right in a sense that I want to be very respectful of the fact that my being able to do this work is not necessarily something that everybody has the opportunity or chance to do or even kind of feel safe enough to be able to do that work. So I feel that if I do know that I can have a space for that work and create something that may be of value and help to other people, then I should do that. And that, that, that is what motivates me a great deal in terms of the work that I do. Yeah, definitely. I think what you were alluding to is exactly what I mean. For the people that may not have the words or the tools or the, the capability to do so, it's not only helpful to have books like yours to be able to be like, here, do you mind reading this and kind of opening a door in that way that's not so direct. But also, yeah, recognizing that not everyone can do that. But, it, you know, it worked for you and putting this work out there and, and paying it forward in the way that you do is also contributing to that conversation, even if it's not directly. That's right. Yeah. And that opens me to kind of your role in publishing. So when you take the lens that you just talked about, what responsibility do you feel and how do you feel like you carry out that kind of representation, whether it's for trans people or for South Asian people uh -huh. or for how do you as, as a publisher and as an editor kind of put those stories out there and how do you bear that, you know, that burden of, of representation and how do you do your part, I guess? Yeah, you know, it's a question, obviously, I think about a great deal because as with any other work that you do or mission that you try to fulfill, there's the kind of macro level thinking and then the kind of day-to-day -day micro process of doing right. something. And so it's funny because I began my latest role, so I worked for ATA, uh, which is a division of Simon & Schuster, and I began that uh, this role about three years ago. So a number of the projects that I acquired when I first kind of began are coming out this calendar year. Like I have mm. a number of books coming out now. And it's yes, I do feel a responsibility to publish a diverse list of authors and to have different communities represented. 
but it's not something, I mean, I take kind of project by project. And yes, I do have a perspective and a willingness to seek out these voices because it's something I personally feel passionate about. And because, you know, I kind of feel like I've done my work, so to speak, of like understanding why certain voices are, are vital and why they should have a space in that larger conversation. So it's funny because I took a step back and I look at my list now for the year that I have coming up and I'm really proud of it because it, it there is a variety of voices involved. And it wasn't like I was checking off boxes right. you know, in terms of what I wanted to have on there. But I do understand that my POV and my willingness to have a great variety on the list is, is really, it's borne out, you know? So, you know, for example, I'm publishing a book in July by a really wonderful writer named Michael R. Snow, who has a really dedicated following, and he's just, he's a delight. I mean, he grew up black and gay in Houston. Uh, he went to Howard University. He lives in New York now. And he writes these pieces that are at once informed by a great deal of pop culture and by politics. Mm. And his voice is really strong, really funny, really informed. And I'm really delighted to be publishing him because I do think he's able to accomplish something in his writing that I haven't quite seen somebody kind of put out into the world yet in a, in a larger way and have people connect with it and, and move it forward in the way that I think he's really going to do. And I think he himself would say that he owes that to the people who came before him and he's trying to clear a space for other people after him. So I'm publishing that book and that's just an example where, you know, I don't think it's mere coincidence that like, I'm a queer editor of color in publishing. His agent is a gay man in publishing, you know, and we're all working on this together. And I think it's, the book is called I Can't Date Jesus, which is a great title. <laughs> I and, love that. Um, but he, you know, it, I think all of us working together, like it just, we're trying to bring everything we have to bear on making that book a success and get his voice out into the world. So that's an example where like, I, you know, I, I think I can say with a lot of confidence, there aren't that many editors who are championing that work in the industry at large as much as they should be. And so, you know, you try to lead by example. So, yeah, I think I do feel, I, I do try to have a kind of open eye to what is new to the category and, and what's new to readers and then do my best in my kind of day-to-day -day job in terms of getting that word out and working with the various departments of my building to make sure other people are taking note of why I think these books are special. Right, definitely. And and do you think publishing has made a difference? I mean, just as a consumer of books, I feel like, you know, perspectives like yours have made a difference. The kinds of books and stories that I see now weren't out maybe a year, two years, three years ago. Do you feel like that shift is happening as well? And do you do you feel like you see that continuing? I do think there is a shift happening. Um, I think it's not a surprise necessarily to know that I think it's a lot of younger editors who are, who are seeking out new voices and are kind of helping to move the needle a bit. I mean, yeah, I, I, it's it's hard to get. You can kind of argue both sides of it, you know. Which is that, like, for example, I would say, just from a, like a personal perspective, when I look at it, like the books to me that have really captured this sweet spot of being commercially successful and critically successful. A lot of the fiction, for example, is by like really talented women of color, mm -hmm. and I don't know whether or not that is something. I think the industry is starting to take note of that, but I'm not sure how firm a hand it had in knowing that from the beginning that that was what was going to happen. Mm. Um, but I think now that there are books that we can point to and others you can point to, you know, those of us who are people of color in publishing probably notice it more readily than other people might. And we see again, like, an, then we can make an argument to people, you know, to be like, listen, this is not mere coincidence again. It's because there is an audience for these books. And it's all the more vital that we don't do this just again to like check off a box, but because it's meaningful and it's, it, there's a way for it to accomplish both ends of that spectrum of being both commercial and critical.
And so I think there is there is something happening there. I hope people, you know, what I want is for fewer people to frame it in terms of again that compartmentalization and really just see it as all part and parcel of the same kind of uh, forward progress that we all want. Right, definitely. And I I mean, we I think we crave seeing just mirrors of ourselves, like whether it's media and TV or whether it's books, we want to see South Asian people and LGBTQ people and people of color doing these things and and portraying stories that, that are like ours or that we can relate to. I think for me, that shift has happened just in terms of being able to see names of authors or stories yeah, or things yeah. out there and, and being able to pick it up and say, hey, this, this is something I might actually relate to. Right. Yeah. What, what do you think as South Asians or a South Asian LGBTQ community we can do to, to raise our voices even further? I mean, you know, podcasts and websites and books are all yeah. out there. We've, we're TV and stuff like that. But what is your perspective on how we can continue to kind of push the envelope on not just mainstream representation, but just on any kind of representation at all? You know, it's this is something I've been thinking a lot about recently in the past several months. It, it seems like such a basic kind of uh, message to get out there. But I think as an industry, not just a book publishing industry, but uh, you know, any kind of creative industry. But on the book end, something I don't think we've been as good about as we could be is especially leveraging the current kind of cultural moment, political moment to say, buying books, if you have the means, you know, if you have the wherewithal to do it, is a political act. And in fact, one of the ways that you can ensure that more people have a seat at the table and more voices are there is to go and buy books. Because Mm -hmm. I think what we have now is, thankfully, we've had a, we've had a kind of widening of the culture in terms of visibility of books, like the idea that there are more there are more venues and outlets and media opportunities and all these things to put books out into the world in the conversation, which is wonderful. You know, you want that diversification of coverage and visibility. But the, the flip side of that is there's such a saturation of all of that. I think sometimes people forget that unless they go and buy the physical books that are are containing those messages, it's we're not we're not moving as fast as we could. And and again, I, I want to be completely sensitive to the idea that books are not cheap, you know, like yeah, especially when, when you're buying a hardcover, it's not cheap. But if people have the means, that is a really actionable way to help because it, publishers are beholden to financial responsibilities and to the bottom line. And as much as those of us who work within the industry don't want to be beholden to that ourselves, we have to be very mindful of it because it is a business and it is an industry. And so... I just think that sometimes, you know, again, when it, like, so all I would say is like, if you, if you're reading a roundup, you know, books and you see something and you, that really sounds like it's representing like an underrepresented community or culture that I really believe in, buy the book, tell your friends to go buy the book, you know, and, and move that message along because it is something that I think might be getting lost a little bit in terms of the larger conversation. No, definitely. That's, I mean, just buying books is a political act. I want like that on a bumper sticker. I feel like yeah, just that, yeah, just right. like, even reading books, like going, just going and browsing or going to a library, just even that act, I think it's not for a lack of writers. I think my frustration being in the community is, is knowing that so many of us channel our social justice perspectives into art, whether it's writing, whether it's, right. you know, any kind of mixed media forms. And I just, I find it sometimes frustrating to know that there's so many amazing like artists and writers and stuff out there. And yet it seems like, you know, through the pigeonhole of books that actually like make it to bookshelves, I see maybe like one or, you know, like your cover and the, and the title of your book was like, this stands out whether or not it's a it's a queer story or a whatever story 
this is a, an, an author and a book jacket and a name that like is relevant to me. And I just find that frustrating sometimes as a reader. Like it, it feels like a funnel to me that, that there's so much out there and yet just like kind of getting it to that mainstream. And then I kind of get frustrated at myself, right? Because what is the goal? Is the goal to make it to make it in the mainstream or is the goal just to get our stories out there, whatever platform and whatever means we have, you know? Yeah, and then they're not mutually exclusive either. Right. Right? And I would add too, like, like, you know, there's this term that, has become very um, popular now, which is a great, which, you know, which is being a good literary citizen. The idea that if you're part of the community, you know, signal boosting other people and talking about the books that you've enjoyed and letting people know about them. And to your point too, going to the library, like supporting libraries right. and, 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 and all of those are activities that people can really participate in that help. You know, it's, it's funny. I think back to when I went to, you know, my husband and I had gone to the, fir- the first women's march, um, you know, in 2000, beginning of 2017, that was. And it's funny because we went down there and, it, you know, we both felt we really wanted to be there and we really wanted to kind of march and 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 just be there and, and support. But we also came to the realization, too, that neither of us likes to think about the financial component of something because it can seem sort of, I don't know, debased or dirty in some mm-hmm. way. But we were both like, you know what, another way we can help is like if we have the – if we can, like – we should be contributing money to the causes that we believe in because money does help. You know, like right. it, like people need resources and they need they need people to be contributing. And so it's not necessarily this debased thing. It's just like finding concrete ways that there are all these political emotions that we can make and there are ways that we can show up visibly and we should and we should support people and be there. But it's not a dirty thing, so to speak, to be like there are organizations that really could use that financial support and we should provide it. You know, so it's 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 not necessarily one thing versus the other. There can be a kind of working in tandem to make sure that you're contributing just larger to everything. Definitely, definitely. And I think, like you said, signal boosting, I think for me, like someone like you who's very active on Twitter, even, you know, like shouting out people or like, I, I love the series that you did in February with the different names on the cover of the oh, book. Right. <laughs> like literally signal boosting other authors and writers and, and people whose name they like no one can pronounce right. right, right. <laughs> like that itself was like, a, uh, that itself felt political in some ways to me. Not only was it amusing, but it was also like you were making a very pointed statement right. in doing what you were doing and so i love right. that personally <laughs> I, pre- I appreciate that you enjoyed that these little uh, uh, kind of uh, fun little things that we like to do yeah. <laughs> exactly well for you rakesh like who has who would you say either authors or like people in your life who would you say has inspired you on your journey whether as a writer or just as a human in your life like who would you point to and say this, this person has inspired me or who would you shout out to kind of looking back yeah, I mean, they're definitely, you know, when I first, you know, started reading a lot of kind of decidedly queer literature, I mean, there were a lot of the kind of classic people that you had mentioned, you know, Edmund White, who was kind of mentor of mine, still is a kind of mentor of mine, and people like Armistead Maupin, and this writer, Jim Grimsley, who who should be more famous than he is, who <laughs> has wrote um, a lot of kind of deeply affecting novels set in the South of people dealing with their sexuality. I mean, I really connected deeply to his work. Um, and, and then you have contemporary people. I mean, I, I think you know this, but one of my authors I work with is Janet Mock, who is mm-hmm. pretty much the definition of inspiration in, right. in a number of ways. Absolutely. She's just such a um, – she's worked so tirelessly to to advocate for other people and to provide visibility and is just delightful and smart. And, and just – and the thing about her is, you know, her two books, Redefining Realness and Surpassing Certainty, like one of the things that's really extraordinary about her is this – 
amazing self-possession that really has defined a great deal of her life. I mean, she's, she's had her challenges and she's struggled, but this resilience that she's had and, and, and the power she's found and that I just find enormously motivating um, because I think she's really extraordinary. I mean, and two other people I've mentioned too, I mean, Alok Menon, and mm-hmm. the activist and writer, I think they're, work is really, really incredible and is really vital right now. And, and to that point, and Judith Shea, who's uh, based in, uh, in Toronto or in Canada now, she's moved elsewhere. Um, but, uh, you know, so there are, there are people out there who are doing, who are, who are activists and writers who are, who, who are really, I think, contributing to the, the conversation. And then there are, like I said, a number of, especially women who are writing today who are just doing extraordinary work. I mean, people like Angela Flournoy and Alexander Kleeman and Lisa Halliday and, and, and Tara Jones. And I mean, so there, there, there's been such the fiction that has been coming out, um, you know, Celeste Ng. And I mean, there, there were, there's so many extraordinary women who are writing now who are really changing the conversation very quickly. And so I, I find that from both a reading perspective and then somebody who works with the publishing industry incredibly motivating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, some of the, I was like scribbling furiously as you were naming some of these names because we've talked before and you've mentioned some of these people before, but also every time I talk to you, it's like a new, it's like opening a new, <laughs> it's great. I actually learned about Vivek Shreya because of you and hopefully we'll have her on the podcast as well. Yes, but sure. but the her work is amazing as well. So yeah, I'm always delighted to ask you about, about your favorites. <laughs> what has been your proudest moment that you would say? Uh, it could either be kind of like all along your journey, just in your personal life, or as a writer or as an editor. What would be your proudest moment? And if it had to do with your identity, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, stop you there. But like as an out gay man, it was it's, it's rare to see such a visible presence like yours. Like what would you say has been your proudest moment? Well, you know this. I kind of mentioned this before, something major that happened in the process of my working on this last book was that, as I said, I began it when I was at this period of my life where I felt kind of very isolated and lonely. And, and in the course of working on the book, I met my now husband, um, mm. who you know, we got married at the end of 2016. But one of the things was that I felt by working on both books and going through that period of introspection, I don't think I could ever have been open to finding happy romantic happiness in that way unless I had really worked on myself if that makes mm-hmm. any sense yeah. like the idea that I really I really had to come to terms with a lot of just the kind of self-inflicted trauma of of feeling lesser than or questioning yourself or questioning what your place is and whether or not you're worthy of such you know things when they come into your life and I think you know, as with anybody who would go through a relationship like that, I mean, we, we we met and fell in love very quickly, but I think I had to really, really take that time to work on not diminishing myself and, and doubting everything because I'd been so conditioned to do that by the kind of forces around me and for so much of my life. And I think really having that moment of introspection to really think about what that I could deserve a certain stability or or fulfillment in that way was a felt like a watershed moment and that's not to i don't want to frame that in the sense of like there's only fulfillment can be found by like romantic fulfillment or like having companionship like that's not how i mean it yeah. i mean it more in the sense of like there's an emotional journey you can go on where you do feel like you've turned a corner and you feel like you can be open to some of the things that come your way so that's the kind of larger emotional thing i mean being able to complete this last book and have it turn out the way that it did i felt very proud of the work that i had done and i think that is a kind of established mountain that you have in front of you when you're trying to work on a second project. So I felt a great deal of accomplishment in just being able to do that and and to see you know how how people have reacted. So that's been that's the kind of 
larger holistic answer and then the kind of concrete one. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and that's great. I mean, that's so honest. And I think it's so great. I mean, you guys are really cute. <laughs> but also, um, what do you think your advice would be to your younger self knowing what you know now? I feel like that's it's something I match all my guests, but I think you like framed it perfectly. Like, what would you look back on and say, here's what you should have done or like, you know, to your younger self? I think, um, especially when I was very young, because I, I often say went away for college did feel justified in being a bookworm mm. it felt like it felt like a bad thing to be you know the idea that that um i kind of almost felt like i had to apologize for engaging intellectually and and always having a book in my hand and always trying to think critically about things so i i, I guess i kind of just wish i would have known that there really is a solace and in, in that in kind of engaging in the activity of your mind you know that, that is some place you can always go that's available to you and i think that is why you know, a number of us who are queer and are questioning and, and and are going through the difficulty of dealing with that culturally, that's why we turn to a kind of hyper intellectual state of being, you know, or that we find creative work that really means a great deal to us. So I think that, you know, I wish I just know that that is, that if that's not just, an, it's not an abnormality and it's not something shameful. In fact, it's something very helpful and legitimate because i think if people think if it's only mental or if it's only intellectual it doesn't really exist quote unquote and in fact that is a very real world that's available to you and that's where it's kind of where you find your escape and and your sense of self-realization so that's something i wish i had felt less apologetic about i guess is what i'm saying and wish i had had felt a bit more ownership of that when i was younger oh my god i wish i had had that too that's a really good one i wish i had had that too i spent so many weekends at the library but as i got older into like the middle school high school age it was kind of like that's a shameful thing or that's not something you supposed to tell people or like you know that i still stayed up all night reading like the latest book that came out and like that's why i'm tired at school the next day like yeah and i you're right i mean i think about it too where it's like you almost think Oh, reading is this thing that I do because I'm not engaging with this other world. And then it's only later that you think, no, I was doing it because I felt called to do it and because I enjoyed it and because I loved it and because it meant something to me. You know, like yeah. it's a, so we're, we're so made to feel as if the passions we have about the things around us and the hobbies we have, that those are just incidental to that kind of normal world and that, that we, that we should feel apologetic or shameful about it. But it's like, no, there's, there's a certain volition there that gets mm-hmm. lost in that process because you're so busy trying to fulfill the expectations of people around you. Definitely. So it, it doesn't make it any less legitimate. In fact, it legitimizes it all the more. Yeah, definitely. Is that call what, what brought you to publishing and editing as well? Um, I think, you know, it's kind of building blocks in a way because I think I loved literature and I was studying it in college. And then I was in creative, because I loved literature, then I started taking, you know, studying creative writing. And it was actually in my creative writing class. This is so name droppy in a way, but my, 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 the first person to suggest that I go into publishing was that because I was in a um, class with Joyce Carol Oates when I was at Princeton. Mm. So she, she was the first person who had mentioned to me that I should think about publishing as something I could do. Because I would edit, when I would give editorial comments in class, I guess she was thinking, oh, you could be an editor. So it really wasn't, I didn't know until I even 
applied for an internship in publishing. I didn't even think that it was like a legitimate career. <laughs> the, the idea that, that there would be that there were people who did this for a living and that's how they would have, how they would spend their days. So mm-hmm. it, you know, all of that was just sort of it was one thing after the other. There was a kind of passion for reading first that began, and then literature, then writing, and then that. So it was a, a logical progression. Now when I look back on it, but not necessarily <laughs> something I knew at the very beginning. Much like most of life, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. So what's next for you? Um, are, are you going to be writing something for yourself soon? Are you are you kind of like still taking a break and taking a breather after the latest one? Or where can I our listeners kind of look forward to to seeing you next? Yeah, I'm. I am at the very beginning stages of a new novel, which mm-hmm. is I'm, I promised myself will not take as long as the last one. Did, so let's see if that <laughs> actually happens. Um, but I am. But, you know, it, but it is true. I'm very busy with my publishing life. I have. Right. I'm kind of very much in the full swing of everything. I have a lot of books coming out this year. I have a number of them next. Year. So I'm trying to. Spring is a really busy time publishing wise, so I'm trying to focus on that for the time being and really kind of roll up my sleeves and do that work. But then hopefully uh, this summer and later this year, I'll be able to kind of go off and do a bit of my own writing. So, um, yeah, so both of those things are kind of well underway. And and the paperback release of No One Can Pronounce My Name is on May 8th, so Ooh, that's coming up. Congrats. Yeah, so that'll be really exciting. So that's going to be going to be a fun time, too. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Can you just let our listeners know where they can follow you on social media and such? Yeah, so I'm at twitter.com slash my name, so R-A-K-E-S-H-S-A-T-Y-A-L. Same with Instagram, same handle, my first, last name. And then com is my website, so all of those places are are there. And I highly, highly recommend Twitter because that's where you're the most hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, will, I, I should I should pin that as a <laughs> Thanks. I mean, that's all the questions I have. Is there anything else that I, I didn't mention that you would have liked to talk about? No, thanks so much. This was lovely and I really appreciate your making the time. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rakesh. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Queering Daisy. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes to help us spread the word and make sure you get the latest episodes right to your phone every Wednesday. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, or know someone who should be featured on Querying Daisy, please drop us an email. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>